Your ears do not deceive you. You've just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Hello and welcome to another episode of Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner. I'm one of your hosts, Jimmy Gasparro, and I am uh, here today with a writer who uh, I've been following for uh, quite a bit of time on, uh, on Twitter and backed a couple of uh, their books on Kickstarter. They have a new book coming out with a great creative team with uh, the publisher Band of Bards called Coins of Judas. We're going to talk all about it. But please welcome to the podcast today, Travis Gibb. Travis, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Jimmy. I appreciate it. Now, I, um, was, I've been very excited to talk to you in the past. I know we've done some written interviews uh, on Comic Book Yeti, uh, particularly with uh, Granite State Punk and uh, a No Contest. I was a, a big, huge fan of Granite State Punk. I, I actually just reread it again uh, when I was preparing for this interview. But it's such a fantastic comic, and I, 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 I can't wait for the, the second one, um, uh, which wrapped up not that long ago. Uh, for that issue yeah um, um it's it's 100 percent done uh it, uh the issue's done my wife needs to edit it uh if you noticed grand state punk's a little wordy so it takes a little bit longer than a normal book <laughs> uh and we had to skip the coins of judas had to skip the line to make sure he, all the releases but if you're not aware um grand state punk is going to have its national release with scout comics slash black caravan in march which is pretty cool so that issue will be easily accessible to everybody out in uh, March of 2023. Yeah, that's phenomenal. And for anyone listening who, you know, this episode, we're, we're recording it right before Thanksgiving. This is, will come out in December. Um, but yes, uh, if you were, were not uh, aware of and, and were able to back the Kickstarter, look for the Scout Black Caravan issue when it comes out. Uh, I just thought uh, I, I was, it's a, it was a great story. Um, it, it looks fantastic. It, it looks like almost no other comic book out there, and it's uh, it, it really fantastic. And then and check out my interview with with Travis on Comic Book Yeti because I, um, I, I I thought it was I thought it was pretty good, and it made me a even more of a fan of uh, Travis's writing and what he does for uh, Orange Cone Productions. Um, but tonight uh, we're talking about Coins of Judas, which is your newest comic. It's with. Uh, publisher uh band of bards yeah and um it is like out uh, for previews right now so why don't you just tell me a little bit about rather than hearing me explain it i was you were nice enough to send me the first issue um how do you describe coins of judas what's kind of like the uh, elevator pitch for it yeah the, the elevator pitch is uh you know it's a story of what happened with those 30 pieces of silver that judas was paid with you know when he was paid with them, that brought 30 demons into the world. These demons are used were used to pay for the worst sins that you can imagine. So 30 sins created 30 demons. Those are loose. And now we have monster hunters who've been hunting them for 2,000 years, trying to collect all the coins, trying to sanctify them and solve this problem. And uh, we meet a brother and sister crew that are kind to address that. You know, they're trying to fill up their family's legacy and do it. Lots of lore, lots of backdrop, lots of fun in this book. It's. I would say this is probably my first superhero book, right? This is this is the most superhero okay. of all my books. It's not superhero in the traditional tights, but this would be like the Blade or Ghost Rider, you know, superhero book type mm -hmm. that, that I put together. Yeah, I really thought I I like the premise of it a lot. I like the idea of um, the thirty pieces of silver. I like the idea that there's kind of like a like a like a a finite thing and a goal that the main characters are trying to overcome. And I kind of like how the lore develops and you know changes a little bit along the way. And um, it's certainly uh, the characters that you've created in terms of the 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 brother and sister. It's it's a very interesting. I thought like introduction in terms of like a, a superhero book, we're, we're starting right. with Karen doubt and I don't want to spoil anything, but um, it is a, a, a very, you know, interesting introduction um, to the main characters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's um, 
Uh, I think we can spoil it a little bit. Imagine Uncle Ben got a miniseries <laughs> I'd issue before Spider-Man. Like, uh, <laughs> kind of what we went. Uh, just uh, this guy's a little bit more interesting than Uncle Ben. Uh, but yeah, right. you know, we, we give you a, a great origin story. We we tie you in. Um, and it's uh, it's written. It's it's This book is so interesting because it was never supposed to be. Um, you know, Orange Cone kickstarts all their stuff. That's what we do. That's a, we're a Kickstarter company. And then we submitted to publishers after like Granite State Punk. They, you've read it. Everyone else gets to read it in March because you were kind of an earlier adapter, earlier uh, supporter. This one, Band of Bards read it for an anthology and says, no, we're not taking this book for an anthology, but we'll pay you for two issues. And I was like, all right, what? And I, like, so I got declined, but you want it. He's like, yeah, I think we could do more. So we fleshed it out and we made this world. We've now just uh, been talking to them about actually adding another two issues after this. So we're going to do one and two, and then we're going to do another two uh, to make it a nice, hefty trade uh, for four. And if it sells after that, we'll keep going and do more stuff. But I love it. It's got kind of a manga type feel with the art. And like, it's very different than anything else I do, but it's a lot of fun and lot, lots of action. Yeah, there, there, I mean, there is. There absolutely is a lot of action, a lot of fun uh, weapons involved, um, a lot of interesting looking in terms of the demons and how they look what i really liked about it is when you re you read a lot of comics and and sometimes you feel like you'll read something and it reminds you of something else and you kind of have an idea of where something might go you know sometimes happen especially if you've read a lot of like big two books um i had no idea where where this was going i had like from the opening panel i thought oh this is the situation being presented that was not the case then we meet the the sisters like the the character we when we meet her I'm like oh well this is then this not did not go where I thought it would and I was like yeah more more give me more right. and then we end with you know introducing the again spoiler a little bit but we introduce we introduce the big bad who you're like who's this dude what's he about what's his thing he looks dope like because that's important you got to make if you got to have a bad guy he's got to be dope looking one of the things yeah. I've learned around the way bad guys need to look dope. Uh, and our bad guy looks dope. Uh, you don't get to see him to the last page, but he is dope. Issue two is all about him. You got to get to finish issue one first, but yeah, uh, it's a yeah, great and, book. And it's a perfect segue into uh, your other collaborators in terms of your bad guy uh, looking fantastic. Um, so it's Tyler Carpenter is uh, providing all the, the artwork for this and Roland's uh, Cownan's is the colorist and Someone you worked with, you know, many times before, uh, Jerome Gagnon is uh, is the letterer on this book. How did you get together with, uh, you know, your collaborators? Are these uh, um, folks that you've worked with before in some of your other Orange Cone production books? So Tyler's a friend of mine. Uh, we've done a few small things. I had him write a two-page backup in a book called, that I wrote called Broke Down in Four Dead Bodies. He had a backup story. Okay. In the and then he did a small piece that he wrote for himself in the Cthulhu Invades Oz book. Um, but his style is kind of manga and that's not really my style. It's not really what I love, but I love mm -hmm. working with him. I love the vibe of his pages. You ever like appreciate something, but don't understand it. Like I appreciate manga. I just don't understand it. Like I read a manga, like chainsaw man, everyone loves it. I read the first issue. I was like, I don't understand why people love this. <laughs> right. Maybe I'll understand right. the movie. Like, it's just me. Uh, like I get why it's good. I get why the character looks cool, but it's not my, my thing. He draws mm -hmm. uh, a manga style. He does a, a book called Tales of the Mega Fist. And uh, I love it. I think it's great. So when I was going to do just a small story, I was like, hey, let's team up my buddy Tyler. I love working with him. Um, let's have him do uh, this like eight page story. And then when it got signed, we're like, oh, all right. Like, how are we going to do this? Uh, so that's how Tyler came into be. And Tyler and I get along. So that works great. And he's fast. I mean, putting this book together, we've, this book put together in like probably three months from script to, to, to finish. Like we, we, wow. we were, we were crazy, crazy busy because I had the concept. So I, you know, cause it was an eight pager. I had to flesh it out to a two, two issue mini getting all that. And then he got the book done in like 24 pages and Roland's just as fast in the colors. And we chose Roland's color style to kind of mix. We've got this manga art style. Let's put a traditional dark toned, which is very common right now. Like if you look at something's killing the children, the, um, 
uh, Automall, or if you look at, uh, I'm trying to think of what's furthest place from here, they all kind of have that that coloring mm -hmm. style that we use in Coins of Judas. And I think we found a beautiful mix of this, this modern style like coloring with this anime art, uh, anime style, because it's not fully anime. It's kind of like a, a hybrid. And I, I think mm -hmm. it looks beautiful. I think it comes out really cool. Makes the demons look kind of cool because they look kind of cartoony, but the color makes them not cartoony. So it's it's super fun. Yeah, I, I think the color works really well because um, I, I think if it were something that were like a, a brighter style or brighter color palette, I don't think it would feel as, I think the tone would be off. Right. Um, but it does kind of capture a, like a, a modern color palette. Yeah, the, the examples you gave where they're, everything's a little darker, maybe almost a little muted, um, really works well for this. It gives it a certain like gravitas, I think, in terms of the very serious things our character, you know, your characters are facing, um, which is uh, it, it works well. And then uh, Jerome is, uh, I mean, I, I, I've seen his lettering. He's a fantastic letterer. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jerome's part of the crew, Orange Cone crew. Him and my wife, you know, uh, I came up with that. My wife does all my editing. Jerome does all the lettering. And we, we, I think we came up with a cool style for this book that is not what you'd expect. Like, you'd expect it to be more scripty, but it's like like scriptish. Like, but it's not. Uh, we we kind of mm -hmm. came up with this cool, like, modern superhero-ish, but, but not leaning into it too hard. I think it's beautiful. I think the design of the costumes are, I, I mean, it's just a beautiful book. Uh, I'm so excited for people to read this and get excited about it and really answer that question. Cause so many people ask me when you're going to write a superhero book. And I'm like, here, here you go. This is as close as you're going to get right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was curious just in terms of, because when you're, you're dealing with, all right, we have a concept, we have, we have a family dynamic. They're going to be fighting monsters or demons or whatever it might be like, you know, fleshing out that world. Was there anything in particular in terms of like, why Judas? Why the coins of Judas? Why, um, you know, why, I think it, it opens its set in Ireland, I think. Is there, you know, are there any particular reasons for those types of choices? Uh, yeah. So the coins of Judas have been fascinating for me for a long time. I, well, Judas as a character in the Bible is fascinating. Um, I relate to Judas and I don't say this as like, a, oh, my God, I like the bad guy. Like, the things that he does in the Bible, right? He yells at him, hey, why are we washing your feet? We could be using those coins to feed the poor. Like, that is me. Like, if you get me, like, what are you doing, dude? Like, we, got, I thought we were saving the world. Like, like I don't see that as a bad thing. Like, him selling uh, Jesus out, like, the same thing. He's like, this guy's going off the rails, like, from our Jewish roots. Like, like we need to bring it, like... I get it. And I am one of those guys who will do all these things and not see the bigger picture. So like, I think in my heart, like I relate to that. The other mm -hmm. thing with coins of Judas, like the creating a bad guys, you know, so many people create Judas as a bad guy. He was Dracula in a movie, all that. That's the been a cool thing. But I found out something, some interesting piece of knowledge. Someone told me that in the Jewish tradition, when they get a coin back in the day, they would sanctify it. They wouldn't send it out. So if someone paid, you know, if they, you gave a donation to the church, they would sanctify the church, the synagogue, they would sanctify it. But if they had to pay something out, they had to unsanctify it. So if they were going to, we have dirty deeds, we have to make these not pure anymore to give them out. And that was just a fascinating concept to me. You know, okay. I was like, right. so they've got these, these dirty things. So then when I did that, I was like, all right, so how about these, these coins of Judas? These, the, each coin represents a demon. And then each demon can represent uh, the worst things you can buy with 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 money. You know, I, I mm -hmm. definitely even that old adage that the money is the root of all evil. If if I want a million dollars, I guarantee you I will waste it in four years because I don't care about money. <laughs> like I just don't. So like so for me, I get to make a little bit of commentary, but in a fun way, right? Like mm -hmm. talk about all these things. So that was that. Setting in Ireland is. I just needed to get out of America. I'm going to be honest. That was just a, I like Ireland. I, I actually prefer Scotland, but I think Ireland's more fun. You know, <laughs> I wanted the boondocks, same same language. I wanted a, a little bit of fun with that. Okay. Uh, so I, I wanted to, yeah. to add that. And I'm from New England. So if I needed to go to America, I can go to Boston and, and tie all that cool stuff up, you know, do that. So that's why I chose Ireland. But really, it's just to get out of America. All my stuff right. is 
really, even though Voodoo Nations takes place all over the place, it's really an American story. They're they're American. Sure. They broke down as in Colorado. So I just needed to, to break that and sh- write for other areas. Mm-hmm. Granted, say punk is New yep. Hampshire very clearly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, well, Boondock Saints is a good touchstone, though. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I mean, it's set in America, but certainly with uh, Billy Con- was it Billy Connolly as their father. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Irish. Um, it feels Irish if it doesn't. <laughs> it's it's definitely. And I, I just started writing uh, issue three. And uh, uh, have you ever seen the movie Snatch? Yes. By Guy yeah. Ritchie, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have a character yeah. who writes, who talks just like a character from that. Paragon Blue, uh, okay. you want some dogs? <laughs> right. <laughs> I can, I'm so excited to see the lettering for that. I want them all squished together, <laughs> as many words as you can. Yeah, <laughs> Make no, the that's bubbles gonna be tall tough. And lots of words. <laughs> that's gotta be tough though to like take on that, you know, to write like in a a dialect essentially. That is the hardest part. Like, thank thank goodness I have my wife because she'll. I'll do my first attempt and then my wife will go, all right, we got to do it. Right. And it's hard to do it and not just say bloody all the time. Right. <laughs> That's our mm-hmm. instinct. Just say bloody as many times. It's Irish. Right. <laughs> uh, but, but at the same time, when it's written on a page and you can't show the accent, you have to do the words. Like, yeah, right. Bloody, yeah. You have to write bloody a whole bunch of times to make sure they get it. You know, I've always been fascinated when uh, I was growing up and reading Gambit. Right, because he he felt so different than all the other X Men. Right, he has that French Cajun accent. He was calling people petite, and I love that. And that's one of the beautiful things about comics is being able to try to figure out a way to get this dialect in and get people to have their own voice. Right, like we know what Peter Parker, Clark Kent, and Batman sound like, one hundred percent. And if someone doesn't write them right, we're like, eh, you don't you don't get that character. Like you can tell, and you feel Mm -hmm. wrong. And that's a beautiful thing about comics. These are fictional characters, but they're going to outlive me and they have more friends than me, at least fictionally. To get get back to something you said in terms of Judas Iscariot being a fascinating character, I I feel the same way. Um, And I think it's a great use uh, of a character, uh, at least in reference with something like this. I think it was a number of years ago. I want to say it was Jeff Loveness did a four issue Judas comic um, kind of about like all about Judas, which was uh, a, 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 it was really well done. It was a really great comic. I, I thought it was it was wonderful. Um, and I, I think he kind of just from a literary perspective, Judas is a fascinating character. Yeah. And I, I do think out of all the, the things you could have like come up with as like. How how are these demons created? I, I I think like way in and kind of like uh you know a, a touch tone for for the story. So yeah, that that definitely intrigued me when I just the title alone. When you see Coins of Judas, like what is this about? And then when you get into it and you under you start to read it and understand it, um yeah, it's very well done. Well, I, I that's what I used to love about you know supernatural shows back in the day, like when they did like Buffy, right? Buffy, oh, he just she just has to beat the Hellmouth and we're good. Like there was always this basic premise uh, of this and it's done. Just like one of the first things you said when you read it. Cool. All right, there's 30 demons. Once they beat the 30 demons, they're done. How do we keep that? <laughs> right. You know, and as you see in the book, as you're starting to read, oh, okay, well, that doesn't seem that hard. They've had 2,000 years. Well, how many other people are after this? What are they looking for? They're working together. What's their goals? What's their motivations? That's when you right. get when you create a world, right? Uh, and that's what I've had so much fun. Like the concept is, is the bare bones of what's going on. These are, there's just 30 demons. We've, we've separated 30, but why they're here, what their purpose is and who's after them, who wants them. What's, what's everybody's motivation. That's, that's the real story of the book. Yeah. And I mean, even the first issue there, it's, it's such an interesting dynamic between like the brother and sister, how they're introduced, like their interactions in the very beginning. Um, there's a uh, instantly it seems like there's a lot of you get the sense there's a lot of family drama and um yeah they're fascinating characters especially you know when you, and you when you take characters like that that have some type of internal familial tension and you put them in this supercharged there's demons there's family legacy um you know it makes for a very interesting story 
Absolutely. And so um, one of the things I wanted to ask, you know, in terms of orange cone production, and like you said, you guys kickstart your books and then send them out to publishers. So writing for like another publisher, um, were there issues like in terms of control or in terms of certain things? Like, did you, was it tough to relinquish that in terms of somebody else is now putting out a book I'm writing? Um, yes and no. Um, so Band of Bars is a great group. They're very uh, creator friendly. And, uh, one of the things that they liked about me is they knew I had a certain skill set I did breed with them. So I got to help make some things on the ground floor, which is really cool. So we have, uh, we have nine variant covers from stores, but they didn't know, like when I came, I was like, Oh, I'd like to do some variant covers in stores. I have some good connections. I'd love to do them. They had no idea how to do that. They they have only done a couple of books. So being able to bring that knowledge to them, but also being able to partner with them on their big long-term plan, you know, I think that that's been really good. And them, uh, it's it's so different than working from them from Scout, you know, because Scout mm-hmm. has a figure, they figured everything out. They know how to do things. Um, you can't really suggest ideas because they've kind of done their thing, right? You can do your own thing, but suggesting ideas to the top is is not something that can happen in itself but band of bards has really welcomed that and allowed me to do that help me get where i need to go let me understand like real sales numbers all right so what did you guys sell what's your highest how do i beat that what what can i do uh and they have things put aside we just had a they just had a meeting the other day that talked about their marketing plan for 2023 and what books are coming out and who they have going and i think they're strategizing i i think that picking me was a strategy for them. They they knew that I had a good presence on Kickstarter, that that getting me to do a book with them would help them at least get eyes on it for at least my Kickstarter fans. Um, and I think that mm-hmm. it's, it's been a synergy to work together and be able to do that. And um, one of the things that we are going to do um, is because I'm so good at Kickstarter, um, we're going to do a Kickstarter after the fact. So we're going to do one and two in Diamond. Then we're going to do a trade Kickstarter because we have so many fans on Kickstarter who will not go to comic shops. As one of the things that I learned when I did this, they, that they have no, there's some a lot of people who just back Kickstarters. They have no interest in going to a comic shop. So doing a Kickstarter for the trade for them, and then doing three and four back in Diamond, and then everybody will get their trade delivered. It's really cool to be able to tackle comics in a different way and and look at the plan for revenue source. Right? It's not just for me. It's just Kickstarter. They're like. We got Kickstarter, we got Diamond, then we got uh, Income Shrock, which is going to get a Barnes and Noble and Amazon, getting all these things together. So being able mm-hmm. to do that, um, and I've been very lucky that uh, I, I didn't get a lot of high end feedback from the top on what to do, um, and uh, but them having a desire for good quality coverage, you know, they they uh, shelled out the money for a Stanyak cover. If you don't know who Stanyak is, you're going to learn. Stanyak does amazing covers. So we've got <laughs> two Stanyak covers and they're amazing and they'll sell books. So, uh, yeah, it's, right. it's been great. It's, it's, I can't complain. Uh, I, I know I'm rambling here, but I, I just had Band of Bards have been absolutely great to work with and, and partner with. Um, so oh, I that's think awesome. That's- yeah, no, I don't think you're rambling. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, uh, especially right now. It seems like, you know, to try and find out like what makes the most sense uh, in terms of like a tra- like there, there there's almost not that there's not there, there's no traditional like way to go anymore, but it's it just inter- it's very interesting to see from like somebody who is kind of a little bit un- trying to understand the in community, but to see that you know folks going from Kickstarter to a publisher to see publishers kickstarting books, it, it's almost like it's anything's up for grabs, like whatever works, I guess, you know? Well, and, and we're starting to bridge that gap. One of the good things about COVID for indie comics is indie didn't stop. We couldn't afford to stop. Like we kept making books. So that's why you see such an influence. Like Garrett Gunn, look at how many Garrett Gunn books there are every week. For Christ's sake, not even month, like for a week, <laughs> Garrett Gunn is killing it. Uh, but a lot of us indie, we kept working and we have all this backlog. And where that gap between, you know, Dark Horse to Band of Bards is a lot smaller than it used to, right? You know, they, that gap yeah. used to be pretty high. You know, a, a brand new publisher is selling a thousand books and Dark Horse is selling eight. That's why you want to be at Dark Horse. 
Well, that gap's a lot closer. You know, there's indie indie publishers selling closer to three now, and they're still selling eight. So there's that 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 catching up, and I think that that helps. And I think it's good for the industry that when you see a thing on the shelf, because back when I grew up, it was Marvel, DC, Image. If you're slumming it, you get a Dark Horse. If you're really slumming it, you get a Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. <laughs> uh, I mean, do you pay it to, I mean, you know, having Orange Cone Productions with you and, and your wife, and Jerome, and uh, I mean, is that something you are really paying attention to in terms of like what's working, what isn't? Are you constantly looking at like how the industry has grown and changed even over the past two or three years? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, it's, it's such a weird thing because I didn't want to be a publisher. I, I was like, I'm just going to create a book and people are going to think I'm super talented and then I'm just going to be working an image and then I'll, I'll eventually get to Mar get to DC and I'll tell DC that I only work for Marvel. Marvel is going to hear about it and I'll, we'll be good, right? That's just, uh, that's the point. That's the way it works, right? It doesn't work that way, apparently. Um, yeah. So uh, we published all these books and trying to figure out what that looks like because um when you really think about comics, like, and, and here's the reality check for someone who, and I apologize if you're an indie creator and you're excited. We make these books. So let's take Granite Say Punk. I've got a $6,000 investment in the book before Scout even gets it. And then they're going to want another $2,000 investment for variant covers to make it special for them. They've paid zero and I'm going to get a fraction of a dollar per book, right? right. Like less yeah. than a dollar book and i'm gonna in i'm gonna do all the work because they have 20 other titles and not i'm not trying to be crap. they have 20 other titles that they all have to push that they all have to hope that one of them's the next big thing so you've gotta gotta do that and then let's say i skip the kickstarter route completely so i'd be six thousand dollars in debt for issue one six thousand per issue they want the full run done before they launch so i'm like twenty thousand in debt when i submit the whole thing to them you know, you don't get paid for six months from submission. So it's submission. They got to solicit the diamond. It's going to fit the diamond schedule. That's going to run for three months. They're not going to get paid for another three months. So you're looking mm -hmm. at several years to pay off for issue one. <laughs> so it's, it's crazy looking at these models and trying to figure out what you can do to go. All right. What if. I still do the diamond rod, but I make my stuff on Kickstarter and make, you know, start being able to make these things profitable on Kickstarter. And then that's extra money. It was my original plan until Coins of Judas came out. That's just going to be extra money. Well, then I didn't realize how much work it is to call all these stores, to get into the, to, to get people to buy, right. this, you know, interviews like you, like we're doing this interview. This will come out in December. Um, I don't know when in December, it doesn't matter. We've already passed November de deadlines to order. You can still order it, but like we're into December, we're into issue two orders. Like it's so fast, like trying to speed yeah. up. It's really designed to hurt you to, to, to not to hurt you, but uh, to like you got to put on your big pants and take out a loan. Like you got to Kevin Smith this, put it all on your credit card. Hope for the <laughs> best. <laughs> and, and I mean, it, and, um, it does seem, though, you in in terms of what you've done with Orange Cone Productions and what the team has done and and Kickstarter. I mean, you've really kind of created it. It seems a a pretty decent you know audience, um, yeah. but I think you. It seems like you know from my perspective, you have to you have to keep things churning out. You have to stay you know prolific. Uh, keep putting you know new material out, um, and not just the comics and the Kickstarter, but you have a newsletter and you do other things, you know, you're on social media to try and like yep. keep, you know, folks going um, and interested in, into what you're doing. Um, do you find it difficult in terms of like budgeting, you know, your time between family and, and writing and doing all the promotion side of it? Like, do you have a system to kind of keep yourself going? Uh, no, I don't have a system. I definitely don't have a system. Okay. But, uh, I, I just kind of make it work the best we can. We try to that. Luckily, my wife's involved in this. And then if we do a con, we try to bring the kids if we can. Um, so that works out. But there, there's no system. Um, but it's hard, right? Like, we produced six books last month, last year, uh, which is the highest we've done. So it's six books for Orange Cone. 
Uh, that's just Orange Cone proper. That's not counting the Tales of Collective that I did. That's not counting No Contest. That's not counting other Kickstarter or other books that I was in. Um, right. All that stuff together. Um, and trying to budget that. And then the Kickstarters are getting shorter and shorter. So sometimes that means they raise less money. Sometimes that means, you know, there's less hassle, but less money. And how, how do you balance all that? And Kickstarter is very competitive right now. You know, there's some great books. Uh, you know, backing me, you know, may mean you can't back the Charlie Stiffney. And that's a hard thing to do. Like, so we're, we have to, you have to put your A game up there because there is a finite amount of money. And if you're reading, like, I personally love mainstream comics. I, I buy tons of comics every week in my local comic store. There was great stuff coming out with the comic store too. Great, amazing stuff. I think it's a great time. If you're reading indie books, some of the best books in years are coming out right now. And there's so many. So it's trying to find that balance and trying to really uh, keep the hype up for everything. And, you know, I, I found that as I'm doing this and doing so many, I'm like, you know what? Kind of half-assed it on a cover. Like I, I could have got better covers or I could have done this. And you're reflecting on these things, which is not anything I've ever thought before. But because you're doing it so fast, you're just trying to be like, all right, that's good enough. Let's go. And trying to make sure you keep that quality. And it's no different than watching you know, your favorite publisher from across gen to all these things where we watch them and you're like, yeah, you know, they were so good. And then slowly they dipped here or the paper quality got less than this. So trying to remind yourself what you're doing it for and then keeping engagement to the fans and making sure the fans are interested in what you're having, having put out and uh, trying to level up each time, you know? Do you um have any like concerns in terms of like folks saying that like there's issues with Twitter or some type of social media? Do you pay attention to that? Think like, or, or do you think like you, you you build your newsletter so you're not beholden to any type of social media? Yeah, so the newsletter is definitely to combat like uh, to make sure that social media can because I can tell you when social media is with me. I can tell the Kickstarter numbers when they're with me and when they're not. Like when I'm being blocked and when I'm not. You can right. 100% see it. Uh, you'll see it in the type of backers you get, but the newsletter kind of offsets that. Um, and uh, the Twitter, you know, we're right now, I don't know when this airs. It could be a completely different thing because it's been a completely different <laughs> last couple of weeks, but apparently we're all on the hive now. Uh, I'm on the hive. Uh, I, I'm not sure how it works yet. I've got a couple of uh, posts. It looks good. Uh, all my friends are there, so that doesn't bother me. I like that. <laughs> um, all right. But keeping all that stuff up, but uh, it's exhausting. And I, I would rather, if I was giving advice to someone, be good at one instead of not like TikTok. I know some people live and die of a TikTok, but that would really take into the effort that I put in. Because you have to be creative on TikTok. That would take in, cut into creative process of writing and the creative process of the newsletter. So how do you do that? How do you engage? You know, I'm very blessed yeah. to have Substack. I make money on my Substack. Like I wouldn't say a ton, but I have paid subscribers on my Substack that invested in me. You know, I'm no Donny Cates or or Matthew Rosenberg or Jason Aaron, but I but I make a little bit, and uh, we sell Substack covers, which are very cool. And um, mm -hmm. I'm super blessed to be able to do that, and that I've got a fan base of people who are just like we're all in with you, Travis, and everything. So right. I think as we move forward finding those fans and finding those, you know, they say the thousand fans can make this thing. I'm just trying to find my thousand fans. I would say, Jerry, if I was talking to somebody, I'd probably say I have 250 fans, like 250 people will buy my book, whatever I write, whatever thing. How do I expand that? How do I get beyond it? And then I do something like a no contest, which is a little out of field. And I think we got 118 or 140 backers. I'm like, Oh my God, I've lost my 250. But <laughs> it's, it, that's the way you have to think to try to get to where it goes. And, just producing new content, exciting content, and the best content you can, I think, is what's important. Yeah, I mean, um, it's just eye-opening. And, you know, yeah. to hear from you, I, I really appreciate you, you know, talking about all these, uh, all the, the the ins and outs. Because it's mm -hmm. kind of, it's it's an interesting time, I think, in comics, um, in terms of the business side of it. But it's it's definitely, it's a fascinating time in terms of being a comics fan, whether mm -hmm. or not it's Kickstarter comics or web comics, or you're going, you know, like you and I still go into the comic book shop on Wednesdays and picking up our comics. But, um, but speaking of that, like what, what do you, you still find time to read? Like what are, what are some of the things that you're reading now? 
Yeah, I read uh, I I read four books a day. That's that's my goal. I try to make sure I read four comics a day. Um, okay. Some of those end up being mine as a proof. I will admit, but for the most part, <laughs> okay. they're, they're new and exciting <laughs> books that come out every week. So what I read, um, I'm Marvelite, so I read lots of Marvel. I love Jed McKay's stuff right now. Like he's killing it. Everything he's doing from Moon Knight to Doctor Strange. Uh, those things are really fun. Even his Black Cat. I'm reading friggin' Black Cat. Like, I never thought I'd read Black Cat. And getting excited about it, putting it to the stop of my stack. What is going on here? Um, on DC, I, I read The Bat Family, Chip Sadowski, love his Daredevil, love his Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, love Nightwing. Oh my God, do I love Nightwing right now? I'm so excited about Nightwing. Um, and I've always, like, back in the day, I've always been a Marvel guy, but like, when it started and Chuck Dixon started Nightwing, I was like, all right. I'm going to buy one DC book. It's going to be Nightwing. F Batman, F Superman. So I've read Nightwing <laughs> since beginning every iteration, except for Grayson. I, I bought Grayson. I know I heard it's good. I heard it was amazing. But I was like, no, I read Nightwing. I don't read Grayson. I read Nightwing. <laughs> um, wait, wait a stand. <laughs> but that, yeah, that's my line in the sand. I won't. I will maybe buy a Robin flashback of Dick Grayson, but it better be good. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and then for uh, I love uh, last uh, last house on the lake. I think that's what it's called, right? Like last house on the lake. Nice, nice house, house on the lake. On the lake. Nice house yeah. on the lake. Love that. Love it. Every issue, I get super excited. I think it's better than some skill and children. I hear, you heard it here. First. I do too. I think it's better. I, I think. Yeah. I. I agree. Um, yeah. Uh, furthest place from here. I really love that. I love Nocturna from from Scott Sider. Uh, I'm loving uh, this Junkyard Joe. Uh, is way more exciting than I thought it would be from Jeff Johns. Um, for Scott, I love Killachella. Killachella. I got that that last week. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from comics. I thought that was really well done. Super good premise. Um, I like Zara the Bard from Pat Shan. Also on Scout. Um, what else am I reading? I'm reading so many things. You don't even know. Um, you name it, I'm reading it. Uh, pretty much. Uh, Vault, yes. I like True Kill. Uh, true V Kill, however you say it. <laughs> oh, uh, True Cult. True Cult, yes. K's, V's, all sorts of misspellings. But Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I really like that one, too. I really, that's uh, with Brian, Scott Wilson, Leanna Kangas. Um, yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's a good one. It, it's so good. There's so many good books right now. Um, yeah. Coming out the pike. You know, every week I have to be like, you know, I just can't. Uh, I, there, there's always that one that I regret not regret getting. In fact, I had to bow out from the Radiant Black stuff. It's not that I don't love it. It's just that you gave me like six titles. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't keep up with you and Spider-Man at the same time. So I got to choose. Right. So yeah, I think we- <laughs> The, the only thing that I think I um, have still gotten in on like everything is I, I think I, I, I still am getting and I have everything that has fallen under like the Black Hammer universe, okay, like Black nice. Hammer Visions, Black Hammer Reborn. Yeah, Je- all that stuff that Jeff Lemire has, has written um, with various people being involved in terms of the, the artwork. Um, I love all of those series. Uh, I mean, so I've. Jeff Lemire is such a, you know, from Bow and Archer to all that stuff. He's such a prolific writer. Like he writes art. Like he's not writing yeah. comics. Like, like he's writing art. You're confused and think it's a comic, but it's not. It's right. art. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, him and uh, Sorrentino with uh, Gideon Falls, I thought was right. just, right. you they're, know, they're phenomenal. Even East or um, West was like that too. When you read East or West, you're just like, I don't know what I'm reading. Not even sure if I like it, but it is art. Like there, it's poetic. The things you're, the the dialogue you're using, the way you're displaying these pictures, like it is beautiful, and it's it's a work of art. You know, there's so, yeah. there's so much when you look at like um, uh, Jonathan Hickman when he's writing like non X Men stuff. Like you're like, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on, but you're just selling it so beautifully. I'm just gonna keep buying and. Hope I'll get it at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there. Every once in a while, there, there's a comment like like that. Um, uh, Dan Waters and Danny did Coffin Bound, and I really yes. like Coffin Bound. But I read it three times, and I, um, I, I still don't know that I could 
like properly explain it, but I really enjoyed the experience. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, I I love that when you get that, like a black dog bites or, or one of these, or like even stray dogs, you know, when you're like, this is so unique. I don't know how to pitch it to you. You just kind of have to read it. Like it's, it's it's new. It's a thing, you know? Um, I really like that. I don't know if you got it this week. They just came out the, called day by day night by night or it's a bunch of, bunch of salesmen who fight demons colin bun wrote it for vault what was it called oh okay yeah uh, uh yeah something like that door to door i don't know it's so good so good highly recommend no it. i didn't i didn't grab that one yet but it's well, probably yeah, waiting for me tomorrow <laughs> there's eight there's eight colin bun books a month so it's really hard to pick out which ones you're gonna read right yeah <laughs> i mean talk about prolific i mean Cullen Bunn uh, and and his comics work and like uh, all the stuff he writes and his like he has a newsletter and he has a Patreon and he I mean yeah um, well, talking to him is why he writes so much because so he so yeah he has to writer, no 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 it's not that he has to but so here's the secret of comics guys again I'm gonna break Indy's heart again twice in this interview so if you're an indie creator like. If you were hurt the first time, this is really going to hurt. We're all fighting, guys. If you're actually honest with yourself and you're going for the big two, you're fighting for a three to five year career. Most people don't get beyond three to five years in the big two. It's just reality. In fact, spoiler alert, if you haven't been paying attention, I think Donnie Cates at the end of that. And I love Donnie Cates. I read everything Donnie Cates. I think he's fantastic. Vanish is the best book right now. But you only get three to five years. Um, and Colin Bunn, the reason why he's writing, he's like, I know that one day I'm not going to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm writing as much as I can now and getting as many places so I can keep doing what I love because it's going to end. And you look at people like Peter David or Mark Wade, they still write great stuff, bangers. In fact, even Chris Claremont, I haven't liked Chris Claremont book in years, but I read that five issue gambit. And I was like, oh, look at Chris Claremont. I remember that guy. He's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I thought about oh, it. Oh wow! Extreme, yeah, bro. That, that should not be on the record if anybody hears that. Um, but but I look back, Extreme X Men. I really loved it. It's just Chris Claremont. I think he's long form, and long form storytelling is kind of gone out the window, right? It's all five issue arcs and and stuff like that. So we're fighting for these two to five years. So write as much as you can for as long as you can, because comics are fluid motion. You you can't do it forever. There's very few Neil Gaiman's or Brian K. Vaughn's or uh, Robert Kirkman who just put out a book, 20,000 copies. Like there's very few of them who can keep doing Even oh, Bendis. Yeah. Look at Bendis. I love Bendis. He moved to DC, slowly stopped being able to turn that off. And now he's over at Dark Horse. And I'm sure he he still has fans that can keep him, keep him satisfied. Same with him and Ed Brubacher. But he's not going to be doing, you know, Ultimate Spider-Man numbers. You know, uh, Ed Brubacher is not sure. going to do Captain America Winter Soldier numbers anymore. They're going to be able to make a living, but that time, you know, comics rotate so fast, you know? Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, there's some at even it, you know, uh, looking at just the very beginning of the new 52. And I mean, it's been what 12 years, right? Wasn't that like 2010 with when the new 52 started around then? And how many, and just some of the writers that, you know, just aren't working with the big two anymore and some of the artists that aren't working in the big two anymore. I mean, that's a lot of sense in terms of that. I never thought of it that way in terms of a like three to five year rotation, but I mean, it makes, it makes sense when you, when you think about it and look at it. I mean, you mentioned Jeff Loveless. What has Jeff Loveless done in the last three or four years? Yeah, I, I think he went to, I think he was working on animation. Um, right. I think he was writing for like Rick and Morty and maybe, and then, I'm not sure what else he, he's done, but yeah, I, I don't know in terms of comic work. Right. No, it's, it's scary stuff when you think about it, you know, when you think, uh, you know, Jeff Loeb, you know, uh, one of the best writers, you know, long Halloween, all that stuff. And Jeff Loeb, you, you don't see him writing anything. You know, I know he's writing for Marvel and DC, but you don't see it in his comic work aren't, aren't springing up there. And it's, it's so weird. It's such an interesting thing about comics and the people who stay, you know, like right. you know, go for Peter David or Mark Wade. What I love about them, you will notice they are a, ca- a palate cleanser, right? So look at Daredevil, Mark Wade's issue on Daredevil. We had all these dark, and Marvel was like, you know what? It's a little dark. We need to bring Mark Wade to fix it. 
So Mark Wade come fix it so we can bring it back down to Chip Sadowski, right? Same thing with Peter right. David. Peter, we've messed up the X-Men a little bit. Can you come and do like an X-Factor or Multiple Man or Hulk real quick and get us back in line? Because they're, they, they're now used, these great writers are now used to bring us back to a core because people jump back on for these mm-hmm. to kind of lens. So these great people like Donny Cates can take a big swing or who was the writer right before Donny Cates? Um, is that Jeff Lemire? Who did Hulk for years? Uh, Al Ewing did the Al Ewing. Hulk. Al Ewing. That's what. That's what yeah. Al Ewing did the big, th- the the big Hulk. I'm not a huge Hulk fan, but Al Ewing did this amazing Hulk storyline for years. You need right. that. You know, you you sometimes have to get this palate cleanser in between, which I think is fascinating and so lovely too. Like, I also think it's beautiful because we've got these these wonderful times that we're like, oh, this is the Daredevil that I remember for as a kid for a little bit. They do know how to tell those stories, uh, but now these great writers are are kind of I people like there's a percentage of the internet who thinks it's to uh, fix it. It's never to fix it. It's just to bring it back to a status quo, and they're safe writers who aren't going to rock the boat. Who, who can right. tell you good stories, so the next writer can swing big and see if it works. Because they're always. Yeah. I mean, I I always thought of it as. You you told these stories a certain way and you, you got the fans that you did, but those fans are going to age out. And then right. at a certain act, because you want to capture the age of the, the, you know, those first fans again. So you want to tell those stories that got, you know, younger folks who were excited about the stories that can kind of like grow with the comics. I mean, I, I think it's good that sometimes things reset. I, I mean, there's I have no complaints about comics whether or not it's indie or big two because no matter what character you like or like what type of story you're into whether or not it's superheroes or horror or science fiction or you like biographies and slice of life type of stuff there there yeah you will be hard pressed to not find something either on the shelves or on kickstarter that you know does not appeal to you i mean yeah yeah Absolutely. Unless you're you're just trying not to find it. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. Unless you're unless you're not trying to find it. Um, well, your, um, go ahead. What were you gonna say, Travis? You said it's 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 really beautiful because I, I love this medium so much. Uh and I think that's why you resonate because I, I do love this medium and I appreciate someone like you because you know there's so many people I talk to in interviews don't care about modern comics or at all they're just like all right what's this guy what's he pitching let's talk about that and then we'll we'll get it go but i i love i love these great storytellers i fill myself with podcasts you know today i listened to the latest issue of the master mark roman as, as you bleed chip sadowski just put something out i'll probably listen to that tonight when i'm writing you know i'm always trying to suck in this information because i don't think I think comics are better than they've ever been. We're being able to tell stories that we've never told. Um, someone who can write Daredevil Batman and then poke fun at Marvel and DC with public domain. That's insane. That's never yeah. been able to happen before. Yeah. Um, and look at Chip Sadowski. If you follow Chip, he will troll people's feet. Like I saw him on a Scott Snyder feed going, hey, how much you make for Batman? Is it more than I made? <laughs> 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 like this is it's not the way it is and it's and it's fun and it's exciting even rob yeah. lightfield throwing shit like rob lightfield has thrown changed his whole career sometimes i agree with it sometimes not but it's it's cool to kind of see that coming back and todd mcfarland's excited about spawn because todd mcfarland goes through phases where he's like yeah i'm making action figures as blah 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 but now he's like i've got 17 titles we're gonna do a crossover blah 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 haunts <laughs> back and i was like i don't know what's going on over there but there's a lot of covers that's all i know yeah it, it it is it, it's amazing to see. And yeah. I mean, I yeah, I do. I I love the medium. I love I love comics. Um, no matter like what they are. Like I I still I've never read a lot of Marvel, but I I still read um I still read plenty of DC comics, and I I still read plenty of like indie comics. I I didn't discover Kickstarter. I don't I, until like the beginning of the pandemic. I, but as soon as I found it, I started backing things and i like to champion the stuff that i like i like people making you know cool stuff taking big swings you know uh or telling interesting stories because that's what i like i like stories 
and uh, all different types of stories. And I think the 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 more like I want to read a story by somebody who grew up in a country that is a, a million miles away <laughs> from this one and have a, a totally different life experience. And I want to see uh, that writer. I want to see that artist. And I, I want to see you know I I love that. I want to you know I get something out of that. You know it yeah. changes me. No, it's it's beautiful, especially when you read them long enough. You stick around long enough to see your generation, what you grew up on becoming popular, right? When Bendis became popular, like he was like, no, Power Man and Iron Fist are relevant. We're going to bring them back up the mainstream. Like all of these characters, like DC, like in a huge Blue Beetle tech, but not new Blue Beetle, old Blue Beetle. Because again, that generation's come in. You know, you got right. Josh Williamson and Robin, he's like, Connor Hawk is relevant. He's super important. I was like, really? Like, we haven't seen him in like years, like 12 years. No, we're going to tell you why he's here, why he's back. <laughs> Superboy, we can't just, Jonathan Kent's fine, but we need Connor. We like, let's get the, and it's beautiful to see that when the fans, the fans become in charge and we get to do little things to bring us back. I'm so excited about this new, I'm guarantee you within the next year or so, we're going to get the new Warriors back, you know? The Night Thrasher will be all over. Nova will be all over the bus. It'll, it'll be fun. And it's it's great seeing all these things go. And why we're doing, why Marvel and the big two are doing that, trying to figure out what works and bring in new characters. You've got like killing it with vaults and IDW and all these things going, we can make horror comics and they're good. You know, anything Jonathan Lee writes, yeah. gold, uh, writes is gold. Anything that, uh, that Rich Duak does is is so amazing so there's there's so many great things if you pay attention and you follow follow people you like and it's it's okay to follow people you like i think people like to follow characters but if you follow the writers you like i think you'll find some interesting stuff the writers and artists that you like yeah i i i totally agree i do the same thing in terms of the writers and artists rich dueck and alex cormack and and justin birch yeah. is the letterer for road of bones yeah. and sea of sorrows and they have a new one coming out i can't wait for um, because right. like, I love their, their horror stories. Um, uh, I, uh, before I let you go, um, and, and don't worry for everyone in terms of coins of Judas, when this comes out in December, I'm going to put all, all the links so you can follow Travis. And so you have, you'll have the, you know, the diamond code so you can make sure you, you know, order it. Um, but when, when we did the written interview for, for Granite State Punk, I said, if you had, if I had you back on the podcast, we could nerd out, uh, a little bit on our, our shared love of meatloaf and Jim Steinman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about meatloaf and Jim Steinman. So uh, I love meatloaf. I wish I was in the other room because I have a signed picture of meatloaf. Uh, he uh, he signed Battle to Hell uh, and he wrote Heaven Can Wait on it. Um, and oh, it was nice. Beautiful. Wow. Apparently, he doesn't... Um, so he said that he likes to personalize things because he's always worried about flipping. Um, but, but when he heard my story and my love and that wanting heaven can wait, he's like, I know if someone wants to flip it, they're going to put bad out of hell or, or, or something. No one's going to put a deep cut, you know, on there, but no, I love Jim Steinman storytelling. <laughs> uh, we talk about stories like Jim Timon says a story in his songs. Every song is a story. Um, and in loving it, I'm in fact, I'm writing uh, Cthulhu Invades Neverland and I'm struggling not to grab all of his fairyland Neverland influence into the, the writing of that because everything's about like Neverland and Peter Pan and not growing up and this, this love. Um, oh man, like I was, when I decided I was dating you, I was all in like passionate crazy like ridiculous love uh, that's how young love was to me and i, I love i, I love right. that he could relate that that trauma in my world but like yeah could get it like going all in and then realizing it's a stupid mistake <laughs> yeah i would i was a, i don't know when i first like discovered meatloaf if it was through hearing um I would do anything, you know, when, when Bad Out of Hell 2 came out, I, I would do anything right. for love, but I won't do that. Or or maybe it was through like the Rocky Horror Picture Show because Meatloaf plays Eddie in it. And, right. but yeah, um, I think it was like high school graduation, like that my parents got me tickets to see Meatloaf at the uh, Man Music Center. I want to, maybe it was 
right after high school. I think it was the Welcome to the Neighborhood tour. And okay. uh, I was like in the front row of the balcony and it was it was like one of the best shows. It was uh, a great venue in Philly. Um yeah, I mean I just was like everything. I think I I bought every album I could get my hands on like you know the bat the bat catalog even like uh, you know Dead Ringer for Love and and right. all like like all the uh, the older stuff. Um uh there was one I discovered Meatloaf did a version of uh I, I, Elvis Presley made it made it uh there's a song that he made it uh famous what was it Promised Land. Um and Meatloaf does a version of it on one of his albums. But yeah, I was just such a big fan. And yeah, especially Jim Steinman's his storytelling, all of Bad Out of Hell One and Bad Out of Hell Two, um, objects in the rearview mirror. I mean, the, just the the way he writes songs, like the imagery that he uses. It just I felt like there's nobody else. There's nobody else that I can think of that's doing anything like this with Meatloaf's voice. And I was yeah, always it, a, a huge fan. It, it's amazing and figuring out like because I love Meatloaf and I love Meatloaf singing Jim Steinman song, but when I found out that like I really love Jim Steinman more than Meatloaf, mm-hmm. um, you know, tracking him down and getting like the musical Whistle Down the Wind. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Like he wrote a musical called Whistle Down the Wind uh, with Andrew Lloyd Webber. So Andrew Lloyd Webber's music with with Jim Steinman's lyrics, and it's uh, about. Oh. So have you, have you heard about it at all? No. Well, it's gonna change your life. So here is the. Okay. Yeah, it's so good. All right. So the premise is a criminal breaks out of prison, climbs over a fence, cuts his wrists, and meets these redneck children. And when he meets them, they're like, Who are you? And he says, Jesus Christ, and passes out. But this dude knows nothing about the Bible except for about Jesus Christ. So he tells crazy parables to these children and falls in love with a 16-year-old girl. It's fantastic. It is oh my a gosh. musical, and it's only, and it's, it's what makes it better, the only official uh, soundtrack is in, um, uh, is England, them trying to do Southern accents is also blunt, because <laughs> I love oh, a good comedy. No, I, um, so right, well, I, I definitely. Second thing, I don't know if you know this, but Battle to Hell 3, I'm going to give you some, I'm deep. You said you wanted to go some deep, man. Yeah, no, let's go. A lot of the songs in Bat Out of Hell 3, if you look them up and find it, were written for a Batman musical. Yeah, I so did they know wrote that. The Joker and all these things. Uh, so there's some really cool, cool things in that that I really, really love uh, of, of telling the stories, you know, um, from totally clips of the car to, you know, like you said, uh, two or three are bad. Um, my life is objects in the rearview mirror. You know, that's a like every aspect of that song uh, are things that happen in my life. So like that speaks to me like on such a deep level uh, yeah. that I I can't I can't describe. And I think most people can relate to that or at least put yourself in those those situations. I want heaven could wait played on my my funeral because I don't want to die. I have no desire to die. That's not my plan. I want to be here telling stories and loving people because that's what I do. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I want that played at my funeral, even though I'm dead. Like, so it's going to be awkward, but we'll love it. I'm that guy who will be like, I, cause I sing karaoke and they're like, Travis, can you sing a meatloaf song? I need a 10 minute smoke break. I was like, I got you, fam. <laughs> We're going <laughs> to rock out. <laughs> you know, there, um, there were, there were probably many, uh, when I, uh, nights, because my my dad had a pool table in the basement and and so there were probably many uh like lonely teenage nights where i would shoot pool and and just and sing uh it just won't quit from bad out of hell too what? <laughs> like yeah. like pining after someone uh over and over again so yeah I, oh yeah, yeah i love meatloaf yeah. but you know that that was my my two songs were uh, you know patience by Guns N' Roses. So when I was pining and like wanting that relationship, the mm-hmm. next time patience by Guns N' Roses, having that patience, kind of singing to myself, chill the f out. Listen to Axel, he never did did that, but you know maybe maybe you can learn. Um, and then uh, right. uh, for crying out loud, I know I you know I love you because even though that song is about telling someone, it is really for like this perfect love and like. Like you just need to understand that you matter the most to me and finding that like, it's such a beautiful song. And as I've grown, my wife can't hear this, but like my wife's from California, uh, like was in California. So when I hear those, 
those chilly California winds. That relates to me in no way, shape, or form. Only right. in California wants as hot as balls. But I, I think about my <laughs> wife and like just going, like, you don't know how much I love you. I like listen to Meatloaf. He'll tell you. Jim Steinman wrote it. It's fine. <laughs> you figure it out. But then in just and being an angry youth, wasted youth, like I always felt uh, like I was wasted. Yeah. Like I really I had all this talent. Like when I was a kid, I, I just wrote all the time because I wanted to be in film. So I was right, watching movies, studying movies and writing films that will never be produced, writing musicals. I remember yeah. writing a musical like Moulin Rouge and presenting it going, I think this is really good. And they're like, you could never pull that off. You can't get other people's rights to songs. And then years later, watching Moulin Rouge, that guy made a million dollars doing it. F you. Like he, he made a career <laughs> out of using other people's time to make a musical. Mine was probably mostly meatloaf though, so it probably makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, it does. I I was just thinking that I was take I every morning I I drive my you know, during the week, drive my my two kids to school. And my oldest daughter, Charlotte, she's 10, and at one point she was starting to tell me something. She says, I remember. And I just cut her off and I went, I remember everything. I was barely 17 and I once killed a boy with a Fender guitar. And she was like, what? I don't remember if it took Fender Stratocaster, but I do remember that I had a heart of gold. It sounds like a holy angel. <laughs> so I had to explain that, no, your father uh, did not actually murder a 17-year-old boy. It's from a song. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I heart all that stuff, you know. Um, yeah, I it's it's so good. I remember like ordering Jim Steinman's album. They're like, Jim Steinman has an album. Yeah, he did. He tried it once. It didn't work out for him. It's mostly just meatloaf songs, but there's one or two that I need. So if you can get that to me, that'd be great. Because <laughs> I, I uh, love um, telling, spelling stories is so important to me. Uh, you know, and meatloaf, the two things that define my life is meatloaf and the musical rent. Like those two defined who I was. I was like, Meatloaf was personal to me. And then Rent was like, this is how you need to view the world. Like art is super important and your friends are super important. And every day could be your last to so do as much as you can. Like, so that's th those yeah. two really find who I am as a person, how I love someone, how I go all in. Like I'm ridiculous. Like I am, and right. I go the opposite. When I break up, I am a ridiculous mess. Like <laughs> drunk at bar, like I am gone like because i don't have a middle like all in or all out that's yeah. it there's no middle yeah <laughs> uh, rent was also a big influence uh on me as well i i was lucky enough to see the original cast on broadway and mm. that so yeah well travis a lot of a lot of common <laughs> ground here <laughs> um, there's, there's, uh, well uh, well did you notice have you read broke down and four dead bodies yet of my work I have not read that one. I've read some of your if other you, works, but I haven't, haven't read Broke Down of Four Dead Bodies. You'll be happy to know. And actually, I can give you a spoiler for any of my work, uh, from Voodoo Nations Broke Down to Coins of Judas. Uh, they'll be named after musicians. So Meatloaf is Broke Down of Four Dead Bodies. Every issue is is a Meatloaf song. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to go... <laughs> okay, can I get that from your website? I'm gonna yeah, go yeah, right yeah, now. Oh. Yeah, yeah, but each 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 title of every song is a meatloaf. Voodoo Nation is another band. Coins of Judas. We just decided is Aerosmith. So Aerosmith uh, oh. is going to be the band that we do that. We couldn't do that with Granite State Punk because like it would kind of defeat the purpose because we're honoring punk. Like to go, yeah. we just like the Ramones. That's probably not gonna <laughs> right. Not very, very not punk to do that. Right, very not punk to do that. But yeah, that's one of my secret eggs. If you follow me, is when I do a series, every title of every individual issue will be a, a different musician. I'm trying to think of what Voodoo Nations is. I'm grabbing it right now. To, uh, oh, Queen. Queen is Voodoo Nations. Oh, nice. Uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So each, each of them has a title. And, I, and then once you get that and you read the story and that mindset, like for you, Meatloaf, if you read Broke Down Body, you need to read the name of the song. You're like, oh, that has actual meaning. I appreciate that. <laughs> and only one guy, Martin Piero from Cosmic Times Comic, give him a shout out, has ever noticed him. I'm like, wait, was that a meatloaf song? Yes, it was. <laughs> wow. Well, good for him. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> but Travis, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate you. 
And I'm going to put uh, in the show notes, I'll have the links for everything. But I read the first issue and I can't encourage folks enough to make sure your local comic shop is getting in Coins of Judas from Band of Bards, issue one and two. And um, uh, and look for Granite State Punk um, in March from Scout and Black Caravan. And uh, yeah, follow Travis on uh, social media and definitely want to check out uh, the Kickstarters for Orange Cone Productions. I have read uh, several of the books, uh, including the the Holiday Spirits, the the Christmas Horror Anthology, and I've I've not been disappointed by any of them. Um, they've all been great. So thank you very much, you. Travis. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, that's uh, uh, that's that's my time. Uh, Jimmy Gasparro here for Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner. And if you like these interview podcasts, and then uh, please, you know, like us and subscribe and uh, write a review. That's, that's always nice. And, uh, you know, tell your friends. Uh, I, I thank you very much and uh, see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.